0: I invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus today, chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 13. And you'll notice it's a large passage. I uh, promise you I tried really hard to try to figure out which parts of the text I could leave out, but I couldn't find a way around it. So we have a lot of verses to read this morning, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, And I think you'll find it interesting enough. These are, if you can have a favorite plague, um, I don't know if you can. (laughs) These are my three favorite. This triad here, I think, is the most interesting, and we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ all over these pages in a marvelous way. So I encourage you to open your Bibles, page 51, read along with me, keep them open as we march our way through the story. This is God's Word. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and has not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then... Whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased... He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, go in to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord." So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left um, to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on this earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the man go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron brought back Uh, were brought back to Pharaoh and said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, and all that is left, all the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the hand of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had, as had never been before, not ever or nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither a tree nor a plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. We're going to save the ninth plague for the end of the sermon. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for every portion of your word. For some in this room, it may seem very bizarre that we would speak to for these moments of these things that happened so long ago and are so strange and distant from our time and our culture and our understanding, would you give us the ministry of your Holy Spirit today to be able to understand these things, to apply them appropriately, that we might love you more and follow you more, and that we might serve you more. Magnify yourself through the preaching of your word today. Help us to see the wondrous things buried in this, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, as I said, this passage is so interesting, and I hope to keep your attention uh, for at least as long as the sermon is. I once was a part of this uh, worship service where the preacher was, he was preaching his heart out, and it was really amazing. And then he stopped in the middle of the sermon, he said to the congregation, he said, can I teach you? And the congregation responded, teach. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, can I teach you? Okay, yeah. It's contagious. It's contagious from Jules, I think. So I like that. I like that. The reason I say that is because this morning, there's going to be a lot of information, a lot of things, but interesting things that are not just interesting intellectually, but interesting because they lead us to the most interesting, that is to Christ. So bear with me. We're going to look at this in five ways. Yes, a five-point sermon on almost two chapters of scripture. First, why 10 heavy and hard plagues? Why 10? Second, what's with Pharaoh's hard and heavy heart? Third, what's with Pharaoh's two confessions and two bargaining chips with Moses? Fourth, we're going to see Moses' intercession. And fifth, we're going to come to the darkness plague that we didn't read, but we'll read at the end. And you'll understand why when we get there. Why did the Lord not just take out the Egyptians with one plague? He could have brought the 10th plague to the very beginning. We could have been done with it. Well, at one level, you know the Hebrew mindset is the number 10 is a number for completeness. That is, it's total destruction, total annihilation. It's not one, two, three, it's 10. That it is filled up to the brim, God's justice and God's anger and wrath against Pharaoh for all his rebellion and all of his treachery. So one menacing plague after another comes as an onslaught to complete God's full justice on Pharaoh and his people. But we're given four other reasons in our verses today why there are these 10 plagues. The first is in chapter 9, verse 14. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Verse 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may may be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 26. So that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Chapter 10, verse 2 so that you may know that I am the Lord. Remember when Moses and Aaron first went to Pharaoh and they said, let our people go. Yahweh sent us, the Lord sent us. And he said, I have no idea who Yahweh is. Why would I set you free to go serve some other God? I'm a God. You're here to serve me. I'm not going to let you go. That's ridiculous. And by the way, who is this Lord? And Plague after plague after plague, he is thrusting it down their throat and upon their minds and upon their families and upon their land that he is the Lord, the earth is the Lord's, and that even Pharaoh with all of his hard and heavy heart has been raised up for this purpose, for God to magnify and glorify his great name through this treacherous king. Pharaohs in the ancient world used to say things like this, There has never been done anything like this in all of the nation's history. They talk about their accomplishments or the wars they've won. No one has ever made something as glorious and grand as I have made. Did you notice how many times in this passage it said, never has anything so grand or so great happened? God is saying, you think you're the stuff. No. I am the one who is ruler of heaven and earth. I am the one who is the creator of the earth. The earth is mine. I created it out of chaos and void, and I brought order and beauty and unity and diversity, and, and I magnified myself through this orderly world, and now I'm going to make your world unravel. I'm going to, as it were, decreate it, uncreate it, unmake it. Some of the plagues, listen, come from, come from the water, the frogs, of course, and the blood, of course. Some of the plagues come from the land. The dust, remember, the dust is spread up and it becomes gnats. And then some comes from the sky. The hail, of course, and the darkness as the sun doesn't shine. Do you see what God is doing? He's taking all the realms of creation, water, land, sky, and he's annihilating it and showing that he is the one who has sovereign power over all these spheres. He is the Lord of the world earth. All of this is to fulfill what God had promised, that he would harden his heart and show forth his glory. Pharaoh saw the the Hebrews in the beginning of the book multiplying and increasing in number, and so he got nervous, and so he tried to suppress them and hold them back to take away their creative powers by even killing them. And now God is coming to reverse that, to bring that back on his own head. The water that used to bring life no longer brings life. The animals that used to serve the people now are like swarming armies, invading the people. The light that used to give light so that you could see will become darkness. Life to dust. The creation is turned back to this chaotic state and everything falls apart and Egypt is unmade. The fabric of the world is disintegrating into chaos, darkness, and death. Sometimes the source is water, sometimes it's land, sometimes it's sea. But God is mobilizing every part of his creation against his enemy, Pharaoh. He sends these heavy, hard plagues. Why do I say that? Well, one, look at the uh, verse verse 18 of chapter nine. I will cause a very heavy hail to fall. Remember, the word heavy is the same word as the word hard. So just as Pharaoh's heart is hard, so these plagues are hard. God is making them hard. Remember, the heart would be weighed at the end of life in the Egyptian religion. That if it was weighed on a balance with a feather on one side and your heart on the other, if the feather was, was heavier than your heart, then you'd go into the afterlife. If your heart was heavy or hard, you wouldn't. You'd be destroyed and go into oblivion. And that's what God is doing over and over as he says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so I've sent these hard and heavy plagues upon them. The locusts, too, you might have missed this, chapter 10, verse 14. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense, I don't know why the ESV didn't translate it heavy or hard, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. Heavy plagues, heavy heart. The severity of the plagues matched the severity of the hardness of heart of Pharaoh. Do you see that? So let's talk about his heart for a minute because we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but we've danced around this hard doctrine that's taught to us both here clearly in Exodus as well as in Romans 9, and that is when it comes to the heart, God is the one whose will is decisive. God is the one whose decision matters. God is the one who moves first either to soften and show compassion or to harden. Paul writes in Romans 9, The question that all of us ask when you say that, how can you possibly hold Pharaoh and anyone else whose heart has been hardened, how can you hold them accountable? They didn't even have a chance if God hardened their heart. So he anticipates that question that was read when he says, is there any injustice in God? And the answer, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. There is clearly a mystery here between human responsibility and divine sovereignty over salvation and condemnation. But the text is clear. That's why it asks the questions that you're asking now. And the first thing we have to recognize is that God is the, he's the potter. We're the clay, he goes on to say. What business does the clay have to shake its fist back at God and say, you shouldn't have done it this way? When the very lips to ask that question and the will to ask that question and the mind to ask that question have been given by him. And secondly, this doctrine of God's electing, predestining grace, mercy, and judgment is present so that we gain and grasp a dimension of God's character that we wouldn't have otherwise. The extent of his justice, perfect righteousness that God is carrying out here in picture form to Pharaoh is matched only by the extent of his mercy. His mercy is more. His mercy is seen in its full extent only when we know the full extent of his sovereign justice. Now let's look at Pharaoh's confession. Okay, he's got a hard heart, but two times here he seems to confess. But of course, they're bogus, right? This is totally fake. Listen to chapter 9, verse 27. This time I have sinned. Seriously, Pharaoh? I mean, what about the first six? right? He's only now feeling guilty. Well, those went away, so he didn't have to worry about it, right? Forgive me for this one. And then we see the the fake uh, confession here, too, and what he says, plead with the Lord, for there have been enough of God's thunder and God's hail. There's been enough of God's thunder. Here's a very interesting piece, ready? I see some of you looking up now. The word for thunder in Hebrew is voice. I've had enough of God's voice, I've had enough of God's hail. I've had enough of God's thunderous voice. Tell him to go away, essentially. That's what he's pleading that Moses would do. In his second confession, in the eighth plague, he comes to Pharaoh and says, I've sinned against the Lord and against your God. Okay, we're doing better now, Pharaoh. But then he adds this. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. And plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And here we learn a very important spiritual lesson that many of us, including me, have a hard time learning. And that's this. The nature of true confession is more concerned with the condition of my heart than the consequences of my action. Do you see, we go to the Lord so often and plead for his forgiveness because we know the shoe's going to drop on the other side when people find out. We know that what we said or what we did when and if exposed is going to bear some earthly consequences and so that's the motivator to go and to ask God for forgiveness. Not the fact that I have sinned or that my character is flawed or that I've offended God or hurt others, but just how it's going to come back and boomerang and hit me. Listen to what what Brian Chappell says in his marvelous little book Holiness by Grace. Every one of you should read it. Holiness by Grace. False repentance is less concerned with spiritual contamination of sin than it is with personal consequences of sin. True repentance is chiefly concerned with the wrong we have done to our Savior and to others. Repentance of this first kind, the false kind, is preoccupied with self. True repentance is selfless, seeking of spiritual fellowship and renewal with God. False repentance flees from correction. True repentance seeks correction. So his confessions are bogus. Moses even calls him out, says, you you don't. You have not yet trusted the Lord our God. So then he goes with two little bargaining chips. We didn't get to one because it comes in the 10th plague. We'll get there. In the the 8th plague, he asks him this bizarre question. Did you catch that? Um, Well, if I let you go, who's going? Moses says, well... Isn't it obvious? We're going to take the young people, the old people. We're going to take the men and the women, the boys and the girls. We're going to take every last, her, every last animal, too. Every hoof's going with us. What are you talking about? He says, no, God said only men. And so he pushes them out. No, that's not. God wants all of them to go. And so Moses doesn't buy it, and yet another plague comes on him in the locusts. Why would he want to keep back the women and children? Of course, no-brainer, because then the men who left would, of course, come back. So since that doesn't work, and then he gets this onslaught of locusts, he goes to him a second time to barter with him and say, okay, in the plague that we're going to read in just a moment, in the ninth plague, okay, you can take your women and children, but not your flocks. Keep them here. Again, a ploy to say they'll come back, because how are they going to survive in the wilderness? How are they going to sacrifice, Moses said, if we don't get the flocks? And, and, And Pharaoh says, nope, I'm keeping the flocks. And so they say, nope, we're not going unless all of us go, including every last hoof. And then we see this east wind. Did you notice that? Anytime you see the phrase east wind in the Bible, you should buckle up and put your helmet on. <laughs> because normally it's a, it's a sign of God's judgment and justice to come the east wind blows. The locusts would have normally come from the south, but supernaturally they come from the east, and this is important because it's the same east wind that comes both for salvation for Israel and justice and judgment for the Egyptians. What is the wind that blows the water back of the Red Sea? An east wind. As the people go Through the waters, the divide of the water on dry ground and are redeemed and saved on the other side. And then the Egyptians come, the enemy of God, and what happens? A west wind blows and that water comes and engulfs them. Look at with me here at verse 18 and 19. So Pharaoh pleaded with the Lord and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind and lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea and not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt. These little locusts are a foreshadowing of the Egyptians. They too, by the power of a west wind, are thrown like locusts into the Red Sea. And in chapter 14, where this happens, verse 28, it says, not a single one of them was left, same exact expression in Hebrew, for the locusts and for the Egyptians. Friends, this is an amazing story that is about a larger story, isn't it? It's not just about judgment so long ago to the Egyptians for their sin, but it points toward a final judgment that's going to come, whose plagues are described in the book of Revelation as hail, as locusts, as darkness. And that Judgment is going to be like nothing the earth has ever seen when he who owns the earth comes. And it's coming just as surely as it came plague after plague after plague against Egypt. And so many people's hearts are still hardened to it. But it's coming and there's no safe place except in Goshen. Except in Christ. Tenth plague. Sorry, ninth plague. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go, serve the Lord with your little ones, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, "You must also." Um. Let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again this darkness is described ominously as a darkness that can be felt i think that's supposed to sink in really deep in fact the word carries this meaning it's a darkness that had a texture to it you could feel it i don't know what, how you describe that but it's scary there was another day of judgment where darkness came upon the land not for 3 days but for 3 hours Matthew 27:45 From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. When the judgment and justice of God was unleashed upon his beloved and perfect son, who died in your place if you would trust and hide in him, And on that day of judgment, all of God's righteous anger against your sin and mine was placed on Christ. And we are absolved and free so that when the day of judgment comes, when the day of justice comes, when all of this fearful darkness that can be felt, it's not darkness to us. It is light and freedom. When we will hear from the mouth of our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant, you may enter my kingdom forever and ever. But that day is coming, and if you are not hiding in that one place where you can hide from the onslaught of God's justice, and that place is in Christ, because the justice, the darkness of that day was carried out on Calvary's cross, but didn't end there, but rose victoriously on the third day so that he might remake his broken creation, you and me. Remade, renewed, New creatures in Christ and begin a new creation where he will make all things right. I plead with you, if you've not yet hidden your life in Christ, would you do so? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took on the darkness of our sin on that day when you hung on the cross. We thank you, Father, that Your wrath has been satisfied in him and justice is served. And we now stand in grace, free grace, forgiven and whole and given a hope of everlasting life. We pray for more and more through the ministry of this church and these people scattered throughout this area and to the ends of the earth that many, many, many more would come to hide themselves in Christ. Lord, would you do that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.